This is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 36th episode of the Truth Island podcast. For those of you reading news articles, listening to song lyrics, or watching blockbuster films, you may have noticed a strange and saddening pattern beginning to emerge. Nothing is as complicated as it once was. Take, for example, the song, A Simple Desultory Philippic by Simon and Garfunkel, written in 1966. What do you notice about the title alone? The word desultory means lacking a plan or purpose. Philippic means a bitter attack or denunciation. Don't feel bad. I had to look up those words myself. The song goes on to playfully mock some of the key figures of the 1960s. But if you happen to listen to a song written in the past, you might have noticed something else. Greater complexity in lyrics, musical scores, and even subtle and hidden meanings that often contrast with the overt and straight-in-your-face music of today. The same can be said with movies that have very simple and easy-to-follow plots dialogue that seems like it came out of the mouth of a third grader. With each passing year, our media seems to be written at a lower and lower and lower level. As previously mentioned in another episode of this podcast, the New York Times, the golden standard of journalism, is now being written at roughly a sixth grade reading level, shedding all of the sophistication in language, metaphor, illusion that the paper may have once contained back in 1910. A question arises, is this a deliberate attempt to keep us dumber or have creators of popular media simply realized that us simpletons need to be talked to at a level we can understand? Joining me to help make sense of this issue, I am once again joined with Kenny. Kenny, are they feeding us stupidity or are we just craving it? Hey Aaron, I think it's a bit of both. I think that it's a yes and a no situation because I think the media only provides things that we enjoy, things that we pay for. So if we are throwing dollar bills at these films, these movies, these books, and and so forth, then that's what the media is going to produce because that's what they're, they're actually looking for the dollar bill. Don't be, don't be you know confused. They're not looking for your satisfaction. They're <laughs> looking for the dollar bill. Okay. Well, in a way, they they believe that if they satisfy us, then they're going to get our dollar bills. So in, in a sense, they 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 kind of have real. They've come up with a formula where us being satisfied is going to lead them getting more dollars, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's it's and that's true. But there's a difference because it's kind of like satisfying someone for the sake of themselves versus satisfying someone for what for what you're going to get out of it. That's there's a slight difference that it does it, it it does change the way you you interact with with the objects of your I guess of your desires. So if the media was simply about satis you know um, satisfying that that innate desire for human beings to be entertained, that innate desire for human beings to to look at distractions for a while. If it's just it was if it was just that, then it would be. Um, there'd be more risks being taken. Yeah, there'd be more risks taken. So you you find that you have all kinds of weird movies. Nowadays, you, what we're seeing is simply superhero flicks. And we're getting superhero flicks because the almighty dollar decided that that's what's in, that's what's in vogue. And so they're not, there are very little risks taken because people are not really looking to satisfy you. They're really looking to gain money, gain something from you. So risks, you know, if a, if a film studio takes a risk and that risk requires the audience to engage in critical thinking from a monetary perspective, they're like, okay, this superhero movie is not, may, may not satisfy the audience as much, but if we take a, a risk on a critical thinking film, then we, 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 we could potentially bomb and lose like a ton of money. Yeah. Well, that, absolutely. I mean, that's it. A lot of those films do actually bum. The idea of taking a risk and trying to make a movie that will be entertaining and at the same time challenge your critical thinking skills. If a, if, an, if a situation does arise like that, I mean, I think that the public would be hopefully 
in love with that. Um, but you find that that's, uh, that's rarely ever the case. And so um, things, things end up being more about, uh, more about the dollar bill, because if they, if they bring, if they do bring out those kinds of movies and they do eventually bomb, then they've lost a lot of money and, you know, studios well, can't have that. Well, let me ask you this. What do you think has changed? Because in my opinion, people have always been greedy, right? Like people yeah. were just as greedy back in the 60s and 70s as they are today, right? We've always we've always had greedy people trying to make buck. What made people in the 60s and 70s make movies like The Godfather or Taxi Driver that were that were risky but had immense levels of sophistication, immense levels of critical thinking? I'm, I'm thinking that like the proportion or the number of risky films or risky songs was at a higher level and in my opinion people have always been greedy right if that if that yeah. if that variable has been constant why is it that people are what has changed then so when you're dealing with a film like the godfather and taxi you're dealing with you're dealing with a film that's calling you to calling you upwards right it's, yes. it's not it's not trying to appeal to you it's saying no i'm up here and you need to step up a little bit. You, you need to come where I'm at. But nowadays, films are stooping down. These films want to, you know, they want to relate. They want to do the dad who puts his head backwards, you know, who wears the <laughs> hip chain. And he really was just wants to connect with the kids. Funny thing is that people, the kids can see through that. It's crap. And so I think movies are kind of doing the same thing in that they just really just want to relate with you, you know. We're on your side, you know, and uh, we... we Forget about all those complex ideas. Let's let's talk about let's you know what let's just talk about sex, baby. You know what I mean? And so they they're they're really they're pandering to the public, and that's that's I would say that's the difference. See, I see something very deep here. I see the elites of, of our society because let's be honest: to to run a film studio or to run any of these things, you're you're pretty much an elite. You probably have tons of money and probably went to an Ivy League and so forth. I feel like in some way they have stopped believing in humanity. Like I actually see it at a a very deep level where it's like, they don't believe that we have the potential to like see the Godfather. Like if the Godfather was made today, they would be like, no, no, no. They, They can't climb the ladder that high anymore. So do you think that maybe like the, the the chasm between like the elites who are producing this content and the average citizen has grown so much that the elites don't even think that they can connect with us if they provided us with high quality content? Well, you know, I can see that happening. I can definitely see that happening. I think that when you get yourself into a group, so whether it's the elite, whether it's those who go to Ivy League schools, whether you're a cop, you know, whether you're even a criminal, it doesn't matter. When you're surrounded by your kind of people, you tend to, that group tends to start thinking of itself as separate from the rest of the world. Mm. And when that happens, it's, um, it's almost impossible to know how to, you know, bridge that gap. And so, for example, the, the, for instance, the Ivy League graduates who end up being elites in these large industries may in fact have this, I mean, we call them elites for goodness sakes. Yes, right. (laughs) So, and so if you're, if you're elite, you know, everybody else is um, an average Joe and um, he, the average Joe is in many, in many minds, not capable of, not capable of understanding complex ideas. You know, we want to, we want to really just dumb it down for the rest of the public because you know, we don't want them to have to work hard. We don't want them to have to think. And, you know, God forbid that we actually think that, you know, that they actually have a brain and so forth. So it's very possible. Because I, I see like immense arrogance. When I see a movie, one of the movies that I hate more than any other film is the movie yeah. Transformers. I don't know if you've, had, <laughs> if you've ever been tortured by like that movie is absolute gar- gar- garbage, Kenny. Please, like, you know, it, it, could, it could potentially blind you if you see it. It's that bad. It was one of the few movies where I think, uh, what's his name? LaBeouf Le- or, or whatever. Even he was like, yeah, I, that he was, you know. This, LaBeouf, yeah. yeah, he was like one of the few actors to actually be like, yeah, that movie's trash. And then like to actually have made millions of dollars being in that film for an actor to actually call his very own movie trash is is a pretty rare thing. But what I'm seeing behind this is I'm seeing like an elite getting 
you know, in the backseat of an Uber and looking at his Uber driver and saying, hmm, this, this Uber driver is incapable of reading highly complicated things or is incapable of thinking highly abstract thoughts. And I think that that is creating like a vicious, a vicious, a vicious cycle of, of these people believing that the average construction worker, the average person on the sidewalk, cannot rejoice in in and and take pleasure in high art, and that's kind of deliberately dumbing down our culture. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that that's a um, that kind of that kind of situation where an elites, you know, where the elites do consider themselves to be elite and you know inherently better than the rest of the world it is it is in very it's, it is a very complex arrogance but i think that it in fact does it does play to the pandering it does play to the because you're only going to treat people how you see them you know what i mean yes um you're going you're going you're going to treat people the way you see them so if you if you see them as dumb then you're going to you're going to treat them like they're dumb now there is there is one other thought that goes through my head and what if it's a situation where even the elites, even the gods, so to speak, are becoming dumb? And this is something that kind of is going through everyone's head after watching the presidential and the vice presidential debate. You know, regardless of what your political affiliation is, it's like, what if like these people going to Harvard or what if these people going to Yale are actually becoming a lot dumber themselves. And, and they're, yeah. they're producing what they consider to be high forms of art because they themselves are not reading at like a highly sophisticated level anymore. How does that sit with you, Kenny? I think it's very possible. I mean, there's this thing my, a friend of mine says, I forget the, I forget the, the, the name. It, it goes something along the lines of um, to be so dumb that you don't know how dumb you are. Yes, you know, yes. It's like this weird swing. I, I forget. Oh, yeah, there is a, there's an effect for that. Yeah, you're right. There's a psychological yeah. term. There's, yeah, so it, there's a term for that to be so dumb that you think, you know, you're just you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> um, um, here's the thing is that, you know, I think there's a very big difference between those who are, I mean, there are, there are people who have an, an, an incredible mind. I mean, these people are super hyper genius smart you know i mean i have a friend who when he picks up a book he can finish uh, about a 500 page book in an hour because his brain simply reads paragraph by paragraph yeah that's a smart that's a that's a smart guy just since it's the dunning kruger effect that the dunning kruger yeah yeah, yeah. yes (laughs) yes thank you yeah yeah you know so this is a smart guy but there's a difference between there's a difference between um how you say academic knowledge and wisdom it's i'd rather sit down with a wise person than the person who has his academic prowess on the uh, you know on the, on, a, on a high level but has no idea how the world works right, so right a lot of these guys may be very how you say their brains are capable of great calculations their brains are capable of you know complex ideas but what we don't understand is that that's not all there is to being intelligent, you know what I mean? So, so these guys, these guys often have this, uh, I would say, um, at least if I'm, if I'm picturing it right, if, I'm, if we're speaking about the same kind of arrogance, they often have this Dunning-Kruger effect going on, where they believe they are the, you know, greatest things in sliced bread, but they are so out of it, that they don't even know they're out of it. You know? Yeah. So, so maybe like thinking about the Transformers for a second. Yeah. I forgot who the director is of that film, but maybe the director. Michael of- Bay, I believe. Oh, okay. Maybe yeah. Michael Bay made that film and said, and he's the explosion guy, right? He loves explosions in his films. Yeah. yeah it may- <laughs> maybe he made that film and he's kind of has like, this Dunning-Kruger effect where he's like, whoa, that's, this is high art. This is, this is awesome. This is an uh, action masterpiece right here. And he doesn't, re- maybe, it, maybe that film commercially does very well in the box office and this kind of reinforces his, his genius, but he's not really comparing himself to an action film such as Robocop from the eighties or from Terminator from the eighties that, were filled with explosions and violence and stuff, but they had very sophisticated undertones and they had very sophisticated plots. And, uh, you know, even, you know, I watched RoboCop from the 80s and there's this whole thing on like Detroit being privatized. And there's, and it's like, 
it, it's like hitting you at, at all of these different levels. Like it, it's really making you think in, 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 in multiple dimensions. So I'm wondering like if he's, if he's making this film, but he's not realizing all of the other great, more sophisticated things because he can't see it himself. One of the things I've noticed is that when you can, we're living in a world where it only takes four art critics, film critics, music critics, you know, highly acclaimed critics to say, this is the best thing since sliced bread. Like, this is it. If you don't like this, you're an idiot. And everybody's like, oh man, I like it. I, I sure like it. It's great. <laughs> you know, and, and like we sell our souls because four critics have said, this is great. And we're like, oh my God, yeah, it is great. And, and then we go around, you know, um, pretending like we see what you're talking about. Yeah. So there have uh. been films, there are films that have been going on for a while now where, you know, there's this average guy who gets, goes into the world, whether it's the business world, where is the academic world, whether, you know, it might be uh, um, aeronautic engineering, whatever. And he's just an average guy, but everybody thinks he's somebody else, right? Mm. So they think, oh, he's Dr. He's Dr. Schmitz. There's been some <laughs> weird confusion. And then so he not knowing that he, they see him as Dr. Schmidt, goes to, the, goes to a blackboard, right? Sees the complex, he sees the complex mathematics going on. And he says, uh, then there's an, there's an equal, e equation sign, like the equal sign, he draws like a smiley face. <laughs> and everybody in the class is like, oh my goodness, he's a genius. He's amazing. <laughs> you know, so it's, I think that people, people are, people have been conditioned to listen to the elites. We've been conditioned to listen to the um, listen to those who we think they say they know best, and we've, we've we have forgotten how to listen to our bullshit meter. We've mm. forgotten how to listen to our 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 own natural reactions or responses to the things we see. So when you look at the when you look at the art and you say, "Oh my goodness, this is the this is the most horrific thing I've ever seen," and the, and the, and the critic says, "No, no, 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 you're misunderstanding." It is actually the best thing you've ever seen. You say, no, no, Mr. Critic, I'm looking at it and I hate it. Yes. I hate it and I'm okay with hating it. Yes, yes, because there is so much social complicity in us liking this stuff. And, and I'll actually, going back, you know, it's amazing that we can draw so many examples from one film, Transformers. I actually saw Transformers in a movie theater with friends and they thought it was like the best thing. So that critic doesn't necessarily have to be some guy sitting in an ivory tower telling you it's awesome. It could actually be your social circle. Your social circle could be telling you, this is awesome. This film is great. You got to check it out. And then when you complain, like when you dare say, you know, guys, the, the, the plot was a little trite and, and the dialogue was a little weak. They all start looking at you like there's something wrong with you. They're like, no, 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 Aaron, Transformers is awesome. There's something wrong with you. And, yeah. and, and there's this like social force that starts like weighing down on you. And then you start, you know, questioning yourself saying, wait a minute, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe this is high art and I'm just not seeing it. Yeah. One of those things is, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's very natural. I mean, when you, when you find yourself being the, um, when you find yourself being the only person in a room who is thinking differently, often our minds, except if you're like this super aggressive alpha dog who thinks he's always right. So, you know, it's often the case that we say, okay, I got to step back and look at myself and say, okay, am I the one who's a little bit out of the loop here? But at the end of the day, you still can't force yourself to, well, people, that's, this is where we start making the mistake is that we try to do some mental gymnastics and fit ourselves into the box. Yeah. But if you don't fit into the box, that's fine. It's perfectly fine because honestly communicating that which you are perceiving. Yes. Because your perception is incredibly important. And I'm not going to go on this, you know, because your everybody's perspective matters. Well, to some extent. But here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, we're all you know, special. We're all special. We all deserve We're all snowflakes, <laughs> you know? Like here's a little prison for you, snowflake. Okay, so um, the... My friend, my friend, my friend, and I have been working on something. Um, it's actually predominantly his idea, but we've been working on this together for I think over a year, maybe two years now, and it's called the the object the 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 subjective objective encounter. Mm. And what that is is that so we're all living we're living in an objective world in that the tree is a tree is a tree is a tree is a tree. Right. But we're all standing at different angles, you know, and 
one of us is looking at it from the left, right, center, and so forth. And we're all trying to describe to each other what we're seeing. Now, when someone starts saying, no, it's not a tree, it's a freaking giraffe. That's when we take them away and we put them in an asylum. Because they're not not seeing, because if, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. And so we got to be careful because as much as we, we really do need the perspective of the people around us, yeah. we have to have, that's what we need. We need honest friends. We need honest people who are honestly trying their best to describe their, their encounter with this world. Yes. You know, this is kind of, um, I had a, I did a podcast with a guy named Dave and we talked about the Milgram experiment. Do you remember learning about uh, the line test where he would put one guy in a room and there would be like a long line on the board and then there'd be a very short line. And then he would ask, which line do you think is longer? And everybody in the room was an actor and they would point to the longer line and be like, that's the shorter one. And then the control subject would just kind of feel the pressure of everyone in the room and, and have to kind of just go along with that. We like, like thinking about the example you just used with the tree, right? That person shouldn't, you know, if, if he says that that tree is a giraffe, then the group needs to fight back and force complicity because like that person is way off the marker. That person is not living in any objectivity uh, with any kind of objective truth, but that person should be able to defend why they don't think that that tree is beautiful or there could be a debate if that's an oak tree or, or some other type of tree and, and, and so forth. Or if, if the tree is shedding, like, I feel like we don't give people the, the space to dissent from art. We, we don't give them that space to just dissent and be like, oh, well, Aaron, tell me, tell me what you didn't like here. And I think that that's different than calling someone out on their delusion, but yeah. then realizing that someone has a subjective opinion, which they're entitled to voice. Yeah. I mean, that's where, this is where, you know, love and respect comes in. Yes. It really is because even the person who's going say, okay, it's a giraffe. He's okay. All right, man. All right, my man. <laughs> you, you know you, you put your coffee down you the look tree is the eating the tree is eating kenny you can't see it <laughs> it's okay explain to me what is it eating what are you seeing you know what i mean yeah and right I, this, is, this is where reason comes in this is where dialogue comes in and love and respect foundationally is should be the foundation for you know conversation right. if not love then respect if not res- if, if not both at least respect you know yes. what I mean? because to hear him out to hear him out is for him to make himself clear is his is is the demand on him and for us to understand him is the is the is the demand on us mm. um so so that 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 is what i think a lot of people uh, uh at least a, a lot of our a, a lot of our conversations especially today really need is uh hearing each other's you know little perspectives and respectfully trying to understand and being able to say, yes, I agree with you. And no, I do not agree with you. Let me ask you this question. Uh, Kenny, since you are an artist, if somebody saw one of your pieces of art and approached you and said, Hey man, you know, there's some things I don't like about your art and you know, they weren't doing it in an aggressive brazen way. Like how would you react to that criticism? Because there, there might be an initial knee-jerk reaction to say, oh man, this guy just doesn't get it, or, or this guy is too lowbrow, or, 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 you know, there might be some prejudice that you have as to why this person doesn't like that art. And I think that's a very difficult thing for people to do, whether you're the, the person that created that art, or you're one of the people that enjoys that art. When, when someone attacks your artwork, you automatically see your own ego being attacked. So how, how do you kind of get past that? Well, if someone said, Kenny, I, you know, I don't like your artwork, I, I'll, I'll say, well, obviously you've been talking to my wife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, she's, she's, my, she's my greatest critic and my greatest uh, encouragements. She, we're, there was a time in our, in our, in our early in our um, business when we we're trying to get this art business going. Yeah. Where uh, we would discuss the art, and she would tell me basically the art that she doesn't like, and I would, and I'd see myself, you know, reaching for the divorce papers. Um, <laughs> so, but no, I understand that because it makes. I understand that, and I do feel that that attack on the ego just to make things very clear yes we're human we're human yeah absolutely because you know 
the way I see it is like, you know, the art is, it's kind of like, it's my creation. It's that which came from me. And that which came from me is often seen as a part of me. And so to attack the art is to attack a part of me, at least. But that's, that's, that's the normal way of viewing it. But at the same time, you can't just go around pouncing on everybody who, you know, who has a you know, critique or a dislike for your art. Um, my friend says, my friend gives us advice about, you know, when people speak unkindly of you. Mm. says, if someone speaks unkindly of you, you got to ask yourself, is it true? Like, it may, it doesn't really matter that it's saying it's just been an unkind thing. You got to ask yourself, is it in fact true? Just because just because it, you don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. And so I guess the same thing goes for the art what they're seeing if they don't like it and they, and they tell you why they don't like it. Is it true? Even if it's true, then you got to, you know, figure, figure out what you're going to do about that. Yes. I think, I think this is a good point. And, and thinking about our, our popular media, like I'm just imagining if someone went up to Michael Bay and rewrote the dialogue for one of his films and put more sophisticated words or added a little bit more character to what he was doing. I wonder if he would be like, Whoa, bro, you know, thank you. Thank you for, for doing this, man. Like you've made me uh, this, you've made this work of art a lot more sharper and a lot more crisp and, and, and a lot more sophisticated. You know, I'm wondering if, if, they, if you can have that kind of relationship with elites where if you show them how it could be better, you know, I, I think of all these people who kind of like remake, who rewrite Star Wars and all this other stuff and like, oh, this is how it should have gone. I'm wondering if, if, if it, we can get to some point where th there could be humbleness from these creators where they're like, whoa, these people on this Star Wars forum, they know what they're talking about. Yeah, uh, you know, Palpatine should have definitely done that instead. Well, if they, if it's possible, I mean, if, if anybody should do that, it just shows an incredible, incredible amount of a love for the art itself. It shows humility. And it shows it shows a lot of good things in in their in their inner in their inner person. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, but at the same time, there's a dark side to that, because you know one of the things that happens is you know the first movie is great. So for example, you know you make um, how to how to catch a cat one. It, it, it sells, <laughs> you know, it sells uh, maybe a hundred million dollars in the in the box office. Like, yeah, this is great. This is wonderful. And then everyone's like, okay. Let's make a How to Catch a Cat too, And then someone says, well, we should get some uh, some public input, right? And so, you know, you open some, you know, yes. what, what they want to see. And you open up the forum for a public uh, public chat room and everybody's given, everybody and their grandmother is giving you advice on how to make your movie. And, you know, you get into this weird place where you kind of, if you take every, everything that they're saying to heart and you actually go and make the movie as they, as, as the whole world is telling you to make it, you find that you have a you know piece of crap movie. Um, so one of the things is that an artist needs to know honestly, and this is it comes down to the individual's honest honest encounter with the world and himself, is that he must know the advice to take and he must know the advice not to take. Yes, yes. I, I you know I, I think that maybe maybe a partial answer to why we have all of these like riskier movies in the 60s and 70s yeah. is that the artist wasn't necessarily subjected to all of these outside external forces telling them to dummy down their material. Like, I didn't understand that. Or like, you know what, maybe when the Godfather came out, maybe there were, maybe when the Godfather came out, there were people that were like, yeah, this is mad boring. The movie is too long. I don't like it. I don't like that. They're having this really long conversation here. And maybe a movie like the Godfather would not get made today. Um, I think this actually happened with, um, a recent movie by uh, Scorsese, I think The Irishman. Have you ever heard of that movie on Netflix? Uh, yeah, I just watched it, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot of people that did not like the film. I actually liked the film. I didn't like what they did with aging Robert De Niro. But, but anyways, a lot of people were, were like, that movie was too long. I didn't like it. It was it dragged on. So... Scorsese has a big name, so he can get away with this stuff. He's already in the business, so he he has like the clout to make quote intellectual boring films and still be okay. But maybe that's acting as a gatekeeper. Like if a, if a young artist like like our age decides to make a movie like this, we're gonna get slammed with all of this like your movie's too long and boring kind of nonsense. The public's opinion often 
doesn't matter. It's unfortunate that I, 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 don't, I don't see a better way to say this, but it often doesn't matter. Because here, as, an, as, as, the, as the filmmaker, as the music writer, and as the, as, the, as, the, you know, as the author, if you are making a complex story, intellectually boring or not, if you are writing your story, and someone tells you, I need you to make it different for me, then you tell them, listen, then this movie is not for you. Yes, yeah. It's, it's just not your movie. You know what I mean? It's for somebody else. It might be for one person in this entire world, but it's not for you. And that's that comes down to like fear of not being liked. It's like it's like we 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 it's a huge we, you know we're a society where everything has to be totally inclusive. Everybody everybody should be able to sit down and watch this movie and get something out of it. And we've kind of lost the the fortitude or the confidence or the bravery. I don't know what exactly to be able to say just those very words, Kenny. Like this film's not for you. Transformers is down the down the hallway that way. You know, like like we we, we don't we we don't do that. We try and welcome people, which can be positive, because we're exposing people to works of art that they may otherwise not encounter. But negative because now now we're kind of dumbing it down for people who really want high intellect content. Yeah, it's it's the problem. Is the the foundational problem that I see is the whole egalitarian mentality. It's the whole everybody's equal. Yes. Well, no, that's that's contrary to nature. That's one hundred percent contrary to nature. And if there's anything we've learned philosophically, is that I should I even say actually is that whenever you try to live contrary to the ways natural things operate, you become miserable. Yeah. Just it doesn't work out well for you. And so, you know, you, you make this film for people who are, who are of your own kin, your own mindset, your own, you know, your own, you're looking at the same thing. And somebody else from across the mountain says, well, you know, since everybody's equal, I should have, you know, I should have equal access to this film. I was like, no, first of all, we're not all equal. There are people who are smarter than others. There are people who are better looking than others. There are people who are taller than others. There are people who are kinder than others. There are people who are richer than others and so forth. And so you find that we can't make something that really does speak to everyone because there is no such thing as a all round equality. Uh, that's, that's, I, I, I full heartedly agree with you. It's, that's definitely something that would, would get flack in in today's culture but i agree with you yes and 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 the person that may not like the sophisticated movie they might be brilliant in some other facet so that's not that's not to say that the um brilliant film movie dude is superior than the person who likes simpler movies it's just that they're different like it's not like i just want to make that distinction right like like that person's not like a superior more valuable person to us it's just that they're different in that facet yeah i mean it's not it's that's the thing is that i don't think it should ever come to the question of questioning coming come down to the place of questioning a person's dignity human yes. person's human value because when we come to that question what we're saying is we're living in the world where people don't even know what the what the value of a human actually is because let me tell you something when you see a ferrari you don't have to ask a question you know that it's an expensive car you know it's an expensive car. No one ever asks, so you know, well, you know, it's a, it's a pretty expensive car. Yeah. <laughs> it speaks for itself, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's doing cartwheels. I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, it's an expensive car. It's tying shoelaces, man. Um, so, but the thing is that human, human beings are often so confused about what it actually means to be human and what the dignity and the worth and the value of a human is and so whenever you attack or whenever you question or you know challenge the some things such as you know um so such as egalitarianism often people feel like oh my goodness what he's saying is that if we're not what the implication of what he's saying is that if we're not all the same if we're not all equal, um, more dignified, and on a human level, on a on a on a and on a soul level, somebody's much more dignified, better, and so forth than others, and uh, and it bothers us a lot, you know. Yes, and I, I think I think though the way that you just phrased this, that your intellect or your ability to appreciate sophisticated stuff does not entitle you to greater dignity. You don't you don't deserve to have you know, more civil rights or something like that, because you can understand the nuances of a Scorsese film. I think that's, that's ridiculous. 
Let me change the top. Uh, let, let's just take a little left turn here. Yeah. What if you met somebody that said, okay, Kenny, you're right. We're not all equal, but exposure. We just keep exposing people to fine art and eventually it'll, some of it will stick. So let's just say, for example, you have that dude that's like, yeah, this movie's boring. I don't understand it. Why isn't there an explosion? Why, why is there no explosion? I, they're just talking. Maybe if you keep exposing that person to high art, eventually they'll crack and they'll start learning. Do you think that that's possible? Art by osmosis. Um, <laughs> no, and yes, it's a yes and no for me. And here's, so let me start with the yes. There are some people who have a knack and a desire, but don't even know it yet, in that they grew up in a very different family. So if he grew up in a family that listened to Mozart, he would, he would love it. But he grew up in a family that didn't listen to Mozart and listened to, let's say, um, you know, uh, so Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. So he ended up, you know, not clicking until he got to the age of maybe 21 and he went to college and he heard Mozart for the first time. And he was like, oh, my goodness, this has been all my life. You know? <laughs> and then there's another kid who, you know, grows up listening to Simon and Garfunkel and you say, okay, you know what, I just got to take him and put him in, you know, in a nice school, expose him to Mozart, expose him to Da Vinci, expose him to, you know, um, Picasso and so forth and you know I'll change his life and he ends up being miserable because he just still doesn't care all he wants to do is play video games drink Mountain Dew and skateboard that's really what he wants and it's fine as as like a former teacher man I, I that is 110 percent true like, like yeah. 110 percent and that's something that our society cannot really accept it's like we have this notion in our head that it's all just a question of exposure that once everyone listens to mozart then we'll all love mozart and that's just not simply true because a lot of us do listen to you know at least one mo like even through a commercial you've probably heard a beethoven or mozart song and you've probably heard and it's public domain music right like classical music is really good for commercials because it's public domain don't have to pay any royalties so you hear these songs all the time and there's some people that are like yes i want that you know in the background while i'm writing this email and then there's others who are like nah that that's whack and that's something our society just cannot grapple with so what we end up doing is we make things dumber and dumber and dumber and dumber hoping that we're going to be able to catch everybody what we end up doing is just pissing off all the sophisticated folk that really want more out of life yeah so it's 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 a weird it's a weird situation you know because i think that we're, we're arts a lot of artists and uh and those in those fields are really trying to trying their hardest to appeal to everybody because I think that's where the money is at. And they end up making things that are just very flatlined. So, you know, it doesn't it doesn't push too many buttons and it doesn't, you know, it push, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't say ask the weird questions. It doesn't want to ruffle any feathers, you know. So it's just a nice lukewarm you know, like, like, like tapioca kind of thing going on. <laughs> yes. It, it's not, it's not pushing any buttons and it's going to be a fairly decent monetary success. You already got that base covered. Let's think about what exactly we're losing by not risking high art or not risking complicated works. Because if we take our quote, less intellectually inclined person they're not really losing anything at all. They're they're just fine. Like they're 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 like everything's good. Transformers is rolling. Super Bowl like total like life is continuing just as is. Who's being impacted by us as a society not releasing complicated works of art? Okay, I would say that I believe you know to some extent, on a general level, the whole society is being impacted. Wow! 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 Even, even the person that would not understand that art is still being impacted yeah. in some... How so? Being impacted. Because if you're creating, and, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I hope we're talking about people who are, I say, creating the complex art, people who are creating the complex arts and still creating 
beauty, not complexity for the sake of complexity, yes. but sort of a complex and beautiful art piece of art, right? Yes. Well, the beauty, the beauty. I mean, you can, there are some people who may not understand um, the complexity of, you know, of Beethoven's symphonies, right? If we're, if we're talking about people who are creating complex art and, and beautiful art, then there are some people who, you know, they won't understand the complexities of, a, of Beethoven's symphonies, but they will hear, when they hear those sounds, you know, to them it's simply a matter of, of the signals being, being received by their ears. And it's not so much that they can intellectually, how you say, parse it and say, okay, this is what's going on. Yeah. It's just, I'm hearing it and it's overwhelming. Just like when you see a waterfall, you're not saying, well, you know, I got to figure out what's, what's so wonderful about this waterfall. No, you're just, you're overwhelmed with the beauty. You're overwhelmed with the situation. Mm. Um, so I think that that's kind of how beauty interacts with us in that we may not understand all the signals being given, but when we see something beautiful, hear something beautiful, feel something beautiful we just we we feel that we we recognize that i like this because it's 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 this idea that we need high forms of art and we may we may not understand everything about that like for example i don't have the vocabulary to talk about music like i'm, I'm not i can't say oh well the cliff note over here you know i i'm i have very poor musical education but yeah. you're right kenny when i hear classical music it one overwhelms my senses my senses immediately go to an ethereal higher state of thinking a higher a higher form if you would and again i don't have the vocabulary i didn't major in music so i don't have the vocabulary described oh the pitch over here is just right but yes i'm overtaken and while i'm overtaken by that classical music i become inspired with thoughts like when I yeah. hear really intense classical music, immense thoughts begin to enter my head. And yeah. I think that in music today, there's this pattern of remixing, like reusing old music and remixing it and diluting music to the point where it's lost any form of originality. And I think that is actually making us dumber because we're not being inspired. Like we're, we're not being, like our senses are not being flooded with, oh, like let me just pause in the shopping mall and just have this great thought over here because the music that's being remixed is made to just be silly background music. It's background music while you're shopping and it doesn't make me pause and it doesn't make me contemplate deep issues. I don't know if you've, am I just crazy or have you felt that too, Kenny? <laughs> Absolutely. I, there was a time when, you know, you mentioned about writing letters yeah. and listening to classical music. I used to do something very similar. Um, even sometimes today when I'm writing thoughts down or um, getting ready for a, a novel or whatever, just outlining, um, there's certain songs that I listen to to really help, especially beautiful songs, songs I found very beautiful to really help with that. And I think that's, you know, that's the kind of the second thing I was going to was something, I, I think that is something metaphysical, almost near spiritual about beauty, about about the, the beautiful and complicated things that artists make, um, because it affects us even if we don't know exactly how it's affecting us or why it's affecting us. You know, you, you know, the lady says, I sat in front of this painting for hours and then all I could do was cry and I don't know why, you know what mm. I mean? So yeah, I, I think that there, there is there's a there's a need for those complex beauties. There's a there's a need for those. High, there's a need for high art, and I don't. I, but I personally don't believe it's for everyone. Yes. But I do believe it can benefit many, if not everyone, a great deal of people because it calls us to a higher plane. It calls a great deal of us to a higher level, a higher plane. Those are very helpful. Those can be very helpful to us. This this like if if let's just say for example, Kenny we went back to making music that was as complicated as classical music. Like we went back to that level of sophistication. Maybe we would have more scientific advances. Like may maybe that music would actually hit potential scientists and get them to have this moment where they cry for two hours or, or just get lost and then have brilliant, like, yes, 
I, I, I now know the solution to this complicated math problem just by listening to that. The, the fact that we're not taking those risks anymore and making that complicated music, we might also be denying ourselves intellectual and scientific advances. If you think about it, actually, the enlightenment was actually happening at the same exact time as Mozart was making music. So people were thinking, hmm, we ought to get rid of monarchs and we ought to we ought to get rid of all of this other stuff at the same exact time that this great music is being produced. Yeah, I mean, these are those kind of weird, you know, weird <laughs> situations that happen. I think so. This is on a personal level and there is no when it comes to metaphysical things, it's hard to speak of them scientifically because they you, they're not quantifiable. They're not measurable. Yeah. At least not in the not in the you know not by not by rulers and tubes and stuff like that. So personally, I would say that I agree. Someday I hope you and I can sit across the table and have uh, have dinner and something, and we can chat about this. COVID, please but, end. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I agree. I think that there is um there 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 are things that art can accomplish. And art does accomplish that we have we have not even begun to understand. And you know there are so for example, I think why our arts is becoming kind of weird and diluted. It comes back to our school system. The young lads and gals go to go to school, and they're not learning to love what they're not learning to to do anything for the sake of the thing. Yes, yes. They're yes. all learning to do things for the sake of an A or a B. And once once you're doing that to students, what you're doing is you're turning them into chimpanzees. Yes, you're you are. training them into well-trained monkeys. And so you find that when you don't, it's when you don't love a subject for the sake of the subject, it's very hard to produce beauty in that subject. Because what you're doing, what you're saying is, I'm only here for either A or B, I'm only here for the financial gain, I'm only here for, you know, for my friends to like me, for my parents to accept me, whatever it is. And so that there's a weird dilution, there's a weird, you're, you're willing to cut corners. Yes. You're willing to, you're willing to not go as far, just, you're just going to go far enough to accomplish, you know, that paycheck, to accomplish the good grade, to accomplish the pat on the back and the shoulder. And you find that, that's that's where that's where it's begun. I think you just hit on something genius there, Kenny, because I think that's acceptable if you have like a career in banking or accounting or like that's fine, whatever. I'm just doing this for the paycheck. I'm just doing this for the B plus salary in life. But how can you be an artist, a filmmaker, a musician, and just be doing it? You know, I think there's the, the Latin phrase like pro forma, just for the sake of. Like I. I I can't understand that. How can you be involved in the arts for a B plus or to be, or, or to be like, yeah, yeah, guys, this is, this is what I do for a living. And you don't actually want to do that. Like, I'm wondering if like Michael Bay is one of those people that's a filmmaker, which, you know, that, that title impresses me. When I hear filmmaker, I'm like, whoa, how, how could you call yourself that and, and just take, treat that job as you would being an accountant? I don't even see how, how that's possible. There's nothing more enticing than a million dollar paycheck. Wow. Like if, if, like if you could, if somebody told me that I would make beautiful music and maybe live like a pauper all the rest of my life, or I could make mediocre music and make a crap ton of money. That's uh, that's an interesting choice. You know what I mean? Because what you're saying, what the person is offering you is, so in the world, in this world, there are certain things that are simply more important than others. For some reason or the other, our souls, which we where people don't really believe in souls anymore. And so it's hard to even have that conversation. Yeah. So if you're if you're dealing with the people who don't believe in a soul, then you're dealing with the people who you're dealing with the people who are more very, how you say, materialistic. Yes. Right. And so if you're materialistic, then what's more important than the thing that gives you the avenue to have all the things you want you know i mean this is this i mean this is money is the end all be all you know so we're all willing to sell our souls which we do not believe in for the almighty dollar bill what you're saying is is 100 true I, I i agree with you it's almost it's just i just 
it's just, again, maybe I'm just, I'm a naive child. Maybe you're just speaking to a naive child right now, <laughs> Kenny, but I, I, doubt just, it, I, I, I just feel like if I was one of these guys and I already had a few million dollars, I was already wealthy and comfortable. Okay. Am I going to make some concessions like, oh, okay. All right. We can replace this with that. But overall, I would protect my artwork with integrity. Like I would be like, guys, we can change a few things here and there. That's totally cool. But the, the, the general ethos and the general theme of this is not changing. And I refuse to allow it to change. And I'm wondering like if artists, especially successful artists can start taking bigger risks and can start fighting back a bit more and say, Hey, I already have $5 million. My, my family's well taken care of. I am, I am releasing this risky artwork. I'll change one or two things maybe, but I'm still releasing it. I, I'm wondering if they can just develop the courage to do that. I think there are there are some artists that that can do that and actually do, while others simply don't. Um, I mean, human beings are very similar. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I know that we're. I do believe that there is a uniqueness to to individuals. But when you look when you look at us from afar, especially when we don't even know ourselves yet, you know, one of the saddest things to be a 60 year old man who doesn't know who he actually is. And this is what this is the kind of world we're living in. So a lot of people don't know who they are. And what happens is they end up we end up looking a lot like each other. And so one thing we all have in common is that we all suffer the same sufferings. So there's peer pressure. There's a desire to please others. You know, there's, you know, and anxieties and depressions. There's, you know, passionate information that causes us to respond very um, inadequately to the world around us and so forth. And what you find is that whether high artists or lowbrow artists, at the end of the day, or even high school students, at the end of the day, some of these, some of these, you know, people in this, in these separate categories are behaving the exact same way for the exact same reasons so that they stay relevant, so that they stay liked, they stay popular, so that they prove to daddy that they were something so that, you know, we have all these weird, um, weird background noise. I think at the end of the day, it's the poor pauper artist that actually has the final laugh, because I think, I think that Mozart, he actually wrote pretty risky stuff for his time, and he was chastised for that. He was criticized for it, and he actually died, I think, you know, in debt. But at the end of the day, he's the one that gets the final laugh. Now, maybe he wasn't embraced, and I, I think he was popular. I'm not going to say he wasn't, but at the end of the day, it's the artist that takes the risks that has the final laugh at the end of the day. They may have less friends in the moment and less cool flashy cars in the moment but they're going to have the final laugh because they're going to produce the next taxi driver or the next huge sonata that really rocks this world yeah and they also have one more thing they have peace of mind and that's i peace of mind is one of the most i mean everybody's looking for peace yeah one of my friends's um theory of life is that all men are searching for peace doesn't matter how rich and how poor you are and so you find that you have these, um, you have this thing that is common to all humans that we all want peace, we all want peace of mind and peace of heart. And we don't, many of us don't know how to get there, but you find that some of these artists who actually end up doing, not all of them, some of them don't, but many of them who actually end up following that, um, those natural good inclinations end up having peace of heart. Absolutely. And uh, to any artists listening out there, please, 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 Continue creating high art so you can sleep well at night. Kenny, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Erin. It was a pleasure. Pleasure as always. This concludes the 36th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azra.